everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We had to find a different way to put our passion to work. If you love your job and love what you do, every day goes on as you want it. I think how we look at art can be world-changing. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. Masks, distancing, and frequent cleaning are just the beginning. Learn more at Baltimore.org. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are still doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do a lot more. The work of a citizen never does end as we all work towards a more perfect union. That's right. We win when we all engage in the work to make our country more fair, just, and equitable for us all. Today, we have a conversation with member-elect of the Georgia House of Representatives, Regina Lewis-Ward. She just flipped the seat from red to blue with some help from a lot of volunteers out there. And we talk about how we can keep building Democratic power in Georgia to flip two vital Senate seats on January 5th. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We Win. What's on your mind? I know Georgia's on everyone's mind. You're from Georgia. Your family lives in Atlanta, right? Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, my parents live in Atlanta. They live smack dab in the middle of Atlanta. And I love watching them every election cycle. They do a little bit more each time to help get out the vote in their community. So that's good. They're yeah, they're they're awesome, and I I'm gonna try to convince them to do some stuff ahead of January fifth. Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah, register some young voters. I don't know if they know any young people, but <laughs> my, my my mom definitely does. My dad's always been sort of like, no need to be friends with my kids and their friends. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's too bad. He serves as he serves a more mentor role. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I have to say that we, a couple of weeks ago, it felt amazing because it was, you know, pretty clear by the time we recorded the podcast that Joe Biden was on a great trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the vote counting has continued across the country, we are losing some House seats. Um, we yep. have to be very open and honest about that. And we can't let our celebration of um, the good momentum that we have at the top um, distract us from the work we need to do further down the ballot. And I have to say, you know, Steve, you and I have talked uh, a lot on the podcast about working on um, the midterms and um, working to help flip some seats here in Southern California. And we're starting to see them flip back. And that's unbelievably disappointing, not particularly surprising. It's really, once you flip a seat, it takes a lot of work to hold on to it. And I want us all to think about the fact that in this very important presidential election, the candidates and their respective national committees raised over one and a half billion dollars. Wow. 
that is a lot of money that did not go to down ballot races. It's a lot of volunteers that helped turn out a record number of of votes for the presidential candidates, but the votes didn't go the right way down ballot. And this is sort of always the danger every four years of the presidential that takes takes up everybody's resources and leaves um, much less for others. Yeah, it's a great point. That's a staggering and disgusting amount of money uh, to spend on an election. And my dream is that we can somehow, some way, uh, at some point in our future, reform how we uh, do our elections and use that money for so many other things that it would be uh, useful for. I mean, right now, there's so many people who need relief, you know, from the coronavirus who are mm-hmm. uh, struggling to get meals. Um you're right also about the down ballot races. We talk about it. Uh, down ballot is where it's at. Um, our interview today is uh, with a great down ballot candidate who won a state house seat in Georgia, flipped it, and that was really encouraging. In Georgia, they really have a model that we should be applying to the rest of the country. And that's investing in community organizing and community mm-hmm. organizations year round to invest in people and try to lift them up and, and make them stakeholders. I heard them being referred to as um, not low propensity voters, but high potential voters. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, which is such a better way to put it. Why are people considered low propensity voters? It's because they're not stakeholders. It's because they don't get engaged with. And it's not enough to come in at the last month before presidential year election and uh, and say, we really you know need your support. We need you to help us because we're going to help you. And then leave and they don't help you. They don't help the people. They're not involved in the communities. Right. In Georgia, we have seen the opposite of that. We've seen these great organizations like New Georgia Project that's registered all these new voters, these high potential voters. Uh, We've seen Fair Fight that's fighting against the voter suppression Mm -hmm. and all of the dirty tricks that Brian Kemp, by the way, Brian Kemp's going to lose to Stacey Abrams in two years for governor. Just going (laughs) to say that. They've built that over decades. And, And that's what we need to be doing everywhere. Like now the presidential has left but we need to stick around. The work of being a citizen and investing in our community stays. I don't want to say that we we didn't do that altogether in the California seats that we lost, but the presidential did take everyone's attention, including mine. I'm I'm pre- I'm really pissed off. There's uh, Harley Ruda and Gil Cisneros both lost their races. I worked my tail off. I know that you did also for those seats in the midterms, and um, my attention was elsewhere, and uh, it's painful. It's very understandable. And I think people are going to say, and we should be a little bit, you know, easier on ourselves because there was a pandemic. We couldn't organize and mobilize in the same way. But to your point, it just really um, brings home the idea that we should be doing this year round and we can't wait because you never know what's going to happen. You know, it could, there could be a global pandemic. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez had a great point, I think, last week where she said, listen, 71 million people voted for Donald Trump. We need to be talking to those people. And those aren't one-off conversations. We need to be doing deep canvassing or, you know, having more in-depth long-term conversations if we have any hope of, of not being 
so divided in the future. And I'm not suggesting that we do some sort of reconciliation and blah, 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 blah. I know people are angry and but if we do have any you know chance of bringing some of those folks over towards the left or at least away from trumpism then that is going to take some conversation yeah that's really compelling i i love the deep canvassing idea we we did some pilot programs at uh, the beginning of the midterms like in 2017 uh, mm -hmm. I was helping to organize some deep canvassing that was directed towards Repu at Republicans connecting with them and and trying to see where we could find common ground and move together on on issues it's the technique that was used really effectively for marriage equality it's been used well with racial justice but like for a broader political um, canvassing thing, it hasn't really been applied. And the reason is because it takes a lot of training. You can't just recruit mm -hmm. a bunch of volunteers and throw them in there and say, here's your script, go do this. You really uh, need trained volunteers who know how to have these conversations and and a lot of trial and error. But now's the time to do that. Like, you know, we mm -hmm. get close to the election and we're like, oh yeah, deep canvassing, that would be a good idea. We just don't have the time to implement it. Well, guess right. what? We have time to implement it right now if we get started with that, you know, so I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then one more thing about Georgia we should talk about is the Secretary of State. Right. <laughs> Looking on, <laughs> on his fellow Republicans and, and saying, uh, yeah, uh, Lindsey Graham and other Republicans are pressuring me to get rid of legal mail-in ballots. <laughs> Which is just, you know, I'm, I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's really not funny. It's actually very scary. But it's sort of one of those things that's like, oh, what else can we throw on this dumpster fire of a year? When you have Donald Trump kicking around and you have Mitch McConnell um, and Bill Barr and Stephen Miller and Ivanka and Jared and all, ugh, all these people that just make the bile pool up in the back of your throat. It's hard to remember that Lindsey Graham used to be the very worst of them all. Really, he, he, Lindsey Graham absolutely sucks. He is beholden to no one but his own interests and that he would go out and say the only way that Democrats win is because they cheat. And then talk to Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger and what Raffensperger said is that he was saying, look hard and see how many ballots you can throw out. That was from Raffensperger's interview on CNN. Lindsey Graham denies this, says he thought it was a great conversation. I'm sure he thought it was a great conversation, but, um, but this is criminal. Lindsey Graham, uh, he really, they're just all in a competition to see, you know, how much damage they can do to democracy. And you're right, it's not funny, but once we get power back, let's get those Senate seats and uh, and let's launch a serious investigation into Lindsey Graham and, and his conduct because it's the definition of undemocratic. Yeah. Um, Steve, what's your reason for hope this week? <laughs> well, I'll say my reason for hope is actually the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, we haven't really been talking about the coronavirus much. We are reaching yet another grim milestones with almost 250,000 deaths in our country from the coronavirus. 
And with the holidays coming up, you know, we have to really buckle down and make sure that we're being responsible and, uh, and not bringing in too many people into our pods, wearing a mask, social distancing, doing all the basic stuff we know how to do to save lives. But we do have a very promising vaccines, two of them that have like 90 to 95% effectiveness so far from what we're seeing. The experts are all very optimistic and, um, It's not going to be overnight. We have a ways to go, but it gives me hope that we will be able to get through this tunnel and and see the light once again. Well said. My reason for hope is um, actually the kickoff to the holiday season. Um, I know it's going to be hard for folks to have a different Thanksgiving, but I'm looking forward to having a scaled back Thanksgiving and just hunkering down and, and you know, eating mm. way less than usual. So we might not, we might not do an entire turkey. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe we'll have turkey sandwiches. I um, there's going to be a sing- run on like small turkeys, right? <laughs> They're going to be well, hard that's to find. True. That, that's actually that's what's happening. Is that the turkey farmers? That's not the right word. <laughs> right. But the <laughs> the turkey the turkey people bred all these giant turkeys for Thanksgiving and they're saying this year they don't think they'll have enough small turkeys. So we're, we are going to have a run on small turkeys. But um, I, I tried to convince my husband that we should just do um, like a turkey taco bar this year <laughs> and he was not loving that idea no? for Thanksgiving Day. What about Cornish but game hens? There we go. <laughs> I mean, I just want, like, I just think about tacos all the time. So yeah. One of the benefits of living here in, in California, access to tacos. We do. Tacos. Yeah, we do have great taco access. That um, gives me hope okay. as well. Yeah. So um, eating something, perhaps a sandwich, taco, or an entire turkey is what's giving me hope. And we talked a little bit about this, but we do have a, we do have a short to-do list this week as well. Yes. Well, it's Georgia. Georgia's on all of our minds. What we were talking about, we're going to talk more about it in our interview with Regina Lewis Ward, but we need to make sure that we're helping register all the voters we can before that deadline. We have to talk to voters and make sure they know about this election, know how important it is. Um, and, uh, and so that means phone banking, getting involved, fundraising for these candidates. We've got our Swing Left Georgia page. So I'm going to link to that. Uh, you can find it right if you go to swingleft.org. There's a link to it right there. But I'll also uh, put a link at swingleft.org slash podcast on our podcast page. I know everyone listening to this podcast is thinking about Georgia. Don't just think about it. Get involved right now. We have to. We win if we can really register a bunch of, of new Democratic voters. That's key. Yeah, don't just think about it. Be about it. <laughs> right. Um, and I I love this week's interview because we are talking to somebody who's been working on the ground in Georgia and was able to flip a seat, which is amazing. Yeah. And she ran in 2018 and just fell short, almost flipped that seat, just fell short, ran again, didn't stop, didn't give up. And flipped it this time around. So she's got a really inspiring story. I'm excited for everyone to hear it. (music) 
Regina Lewis Ward is a member elect of the Georgia House of Representatives, representing District 109, flipping that seat from red to blue. She is also a political science adjunct instructor and an author. Representative elect Lewis Ward, thank you so much for taking the time to talk and congratulations on your election. Thank you so much, Steve. It's a, a very exciting time for everyone in Georgia. <laughs> it is definitely an exciting time in Georgia. It's at the top of everyone's mind right now. And I definitely want to get into what's going on on the ground in Georgia. But I want to hear about your story a little bit first. You grew up in Brooklyn. You uh, worked for the New York City Public Transit for 30 years before moving to Georgia. It was about 14 years ago, if that's if that's right. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? How did you get your start? Okay, so yes, um, Steve, you are correct. I was actually raised in um, New York City housing projects. Mm-hmm. Um, Brookline housing projects is um, exactly where we grew up. And, you know, that's important to me because um, people should know that no matter where you start out at in life, um, with hard work and determination, you can always achieve your your dreams. Mm. I I attended public schools, and and as a matter of fact, I don't tell this very often, but while I was in middle school, I um, was subject to the 1972 riots when when the school board in Brooklyn ordered the school that I was attending and also the high school to accept. And black black students from a neighboring Brownsville community, hmm. and that was my first experience with um, racial tensions there. After I graduated from high school, I went on to achieve my bachelor's of business administration in computer science. Hmm. Then I went on to work for the New York City Transit Authority, and. After working about thirty years with transit, I did retire, and that's when I relocated to Georgia. Now, the extra 10 years of experience where you mentioned 30 years, I had a small business here in Georgia for about 10 years. And that's where I get my 30 years of leadership and management experience from. After we relocated here to Georgia, I was really excited about a new state, a new home. And I got a little bored after about a year and a half. And I started looking for um, things to do in the community. And I joined Clayton Leadership Class. And that was a class, um, a 10-month course that taught us about community stewardship. We were challenged with doing something that was outside of our comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I could, I connected with a nonprofit named Feed My People. And that's when I first got involved with the community. And through that work, I noticed that there were so many people that went under the radar. And their voices were not heard. Their stories were not heard. They just existed. They were not thriving at all. And every week we would have an opportunity to talk with them, listen to them, and hear the challenges that they were experiencing. And it was that work that led me to get involved more and more with the community. And so I really appreciate that opportunity of working with Be My People and also that push from the Clayton Leadership Class for us to do something that we would not normally do. Like run for office, and um, <laughs> uh, what what a what a great second act! I guess you came to Georgia, as you said, thinking that maybe you would retire and slow down, and uh, you took a different different tact there. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I thought I would come here and live a life of Riley, right? Just kick back and enjoy <laughs> what Georgia had to offer, and um, but that's not the case at all. Well, 
I'm I'm really glad that you did decide to run for office. And of course, you ran for your seat in 2018 and narrowly lost to the Republican incumbent. So also, thank you for running again. It's so important that candidates who jump in, who are building that infrastructure and building that community, uh, you know, keep at it. Even a loss isn't really a loss, right? It's, it's one step forward. And then you did it again and flipped that seat. Um, can you talk about uh, how those two campaigns were different? I mean, obviously coronavirus, but how did you reach out to voters and what was different between those two campaigns? Well, sure. You know, in, during the 2020 cycle, we were campaigning during a global pandemic. But more importantly, in 2018, the election or, or me running was very important because it gave it gave my constituents another person to vote for. Mm-hmm. It gave them some hope um, and some possibilities. We did fall short, but I don't consider it a loss. I consider it a win for all of us because of how close we came. And mm-hmm. we noticed then that people wanted an option. And and I was that option. So the strategy was basically the same for 2020 in terms of making sure we were saying the same things that the voters wanted. Investment in public education the expansion of Medicaid is definitely um, something that um, Georgians want because there are so many people who have to come out of pocket or or forego even going to the doctor because they can't afford to pay out of their pockets. So expansion of Medicaid is really important and also protecting the working families. So many head of house households that are headed by women who may have to work two and three jobs just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And them earning a livable wage would afford them more time home with their families. And so in 2020, the message, what we were saying, we we stayed focused and we we went out and touched as many voters as we possibly could. We did lit drops, you know, dropping literature at the person's um, residence, telephone calls, text banking, just just making sure that they knew that again you have an you have an option and and it worked and Steve I'll say to you one of the things that it, we felt was different between the 18 and the 20 election there was a sense of urgency in the 2020 election hmm. it was like we had to get it done there was so many things at stake during the 2020 election so Coupled with that sense of urgency, um, we were able to um, see a victory. Yeah, I think everyone has felt that sense of urgency and is also feeling it now with the Senate runoff. Um, You talked about a lot of important kitchen table issues that are important to your constituents. How are people talking about this Senate race that's resonating with your constituents? It's important for everyone to know that this Senate race is critical. Right now, it's, it's making sure everyone knows that that voter registration has opened up again. And the registration deadline now is December the 7th, if you want to vote in the January election. So that's first and foremost. Um, we want everyone to know that, yes, if you're 17 and a half and you're going to be 18 before um, January 5th, go on and register to vote and then you can vote in the January election. It's also important for them to know that you can vote by mail again. 
Mm-hmm. However, you may have to ask for that ballot again. In certain situations, you don't have to ask for that ballot again, but just call your county office to see whether or not you are one that has to ask for that ballot again. And, and then again, there's early voting again, which starts on December the 14th, right? We can vote before the holiday season. You don't have to wait until after Christmas or after New Year's, <laughs> right? You can vote yeah. and continue with your shopping or whatever else you have planned. So it's real important that we get that message out to everyone so they know what their options are uh, for this January 5th election. So important and a lot of really good points. I mean, a, a lot of the contact that we're having with voters in Georgia right now is just that. It's just giving them the information and and certainly trying to register as many new uh, voters. It must be getting crazy there. I know that there's a lot of organizers who um, have camped out in Georgia. I'm I'm not going to lie. I did look at some like furnished lofts, you know, around Atlanta, just <laughs> musing on that. But uh, I'm not going to be traveling because um, number one, I don't think it's particularly safe to travel right now. And, uh, and it seems like uh, you guys have it pretty well handled there in terms of the on the ground um, organizers. Would, would you agree with that? Do you need people to come into Georgia or um, uh, would you rather just have them take the direction from the organizers that are on the ground? That's a, a leading question, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, well, with the pandemic, we, we've learned how to engage um, virtually, right? Mm-hmm. So so you don't have to actually be in the state to to help. There are virtual phone banks, there are virtual text banks, and um, we need you to go vote. <laughs> that that yeah. that is it. Um, help us spread the word, and you can do that from anywhere. You can do it in the comfort of your home. Just you can do it while you're sitting on a beach if you decide to do that as well. That is a good um, idea. That's how I'm going to do all my voter contact now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> brilliant. You know, um, 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 historically, Democrats, you know, the, the numbers show that we've struggled in the past for turning out in runoff elections. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to remind you that um, Georgians, that we're, we, we are strong. And for the first time it, since 1992, we voted for a Democrat president. So yep. um, I have I have high, high expectations that we will also turn out in record numbers for the January 5th election. I am hoping that that happens as well. We all are. Um, everyone is thinking about Georgia right now. Really quick back to your campaign. We had a lot of swing left activity into your campaign, outside groups that helped, that raised money and made phone calls for you. What did that help from those outside groups mean to your campaign? What message do you have for the volunteers that helped you out? Just a thank you from the bottom of my heart. And going back to your other question about how is this campaign different, we've met so many wonderful supporters, including Swing Left, that helped us, pushed us, encouraged us, you know, walked with us side by side all the way through um, the elections. We could not have won without your support. And thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart. Well, we did really well in Georgia with your seat and some others. Uh, We fell short on some local legislatures that we were hoping to win in other areas. But I really feel like 
more people are tuned in to how important local legislatures and these community elections are in a way that Republicans certainly have been for decades. They've been building their power by really investing in in local legislatures. And I feel like over the last uh, four years, we've really started to build that infrastructure and elect great candidates like yourself. So I'm hopeful that we can keep building on what we've been doing because uh, as Mariah, my co-host, who unfortunately couldn't be here this morning, always says down ballot is where it's at. Investing in these local campaigns not only lifts up the communities around them, but um, you know people tend to vote up the ballot where they don't necessarily go down ballot. So I hope the people invest more. I hope everyone celebrates great candidates like yourself getting elected. We finish with this question for all of our guests. What gives you the most hope for our future? Probably um, future down-ballot candidates. I think that the the closer your name is to the bottom of the ballot, the closer you are to the people. Hmm. And as long as we have candidates who can speak for the people without having a self-interest, I think we're, we're in a good place. Wonderful. Well, Representative-elect... Lewis Ward, congratulations again on flipping that seat. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing in Georgia and are going to continue to do until January 5th and beyond. And thanks for joining us on our show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Uh, share us on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, as we said, sign up to volunteer for some action in Georgia right now. We really appreciate you being here with us and we'll be back with more next Wednesday. Discovery Plus has what you're hungry for with new original series and a supersized collection of favorites. It's the largest collection of food shows anywhere, all for only $4.99. Discovery Plus, the streaming home of food, plus so much more. Start your free trial.